software-defined cyber. <laughs> software-defined cyber wars. <laughs> Gunner's right, gonna swallow yeah. his tongue. I am gonna swallow my tongue. Good. Get me out of here. So Gunner, you sound like you, like you have a lot more room or something. Mm-hmm. I do. I do. I have uh, twelve gigabytes more than more than uh, more than the last time we spoke. Wow, sixteen gigabytes of RAM. Sixteen that's, gigabytes like, of RAM. You're kicking back. That's like you're creating files with reckless abandon, huh? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm I'm now looking for more work for my computer to do. It's yeah. uh it's a cliche to talk about how important it is to buy RAM. Like whenever you buy a computer, always max out the RAM. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so for the last three years, I've been laboring with four gigabytes of RAM, which was perfectly respectable when I bought it. Um, mm -hmm. but I was noticing, you know, when we record the show, it would stall out sometimes and things were just starting to get a little pokey, you know, just that, that usual kind of bit rot you get in a, yep. in a, in a machine. So finally broke down. I was like, this is just ridiculous. Uh, oh, and uh, my computer was missing a semicolon key, um, yeah. which I could not replace for uh, uh, infuriating reasons. Um, and so for months I've been um, screwing around with like having no cap on the key. So I'd have to hit the little like rubber nubbin when I wanted to hit mm -hmm. a semicolon. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're Linux guys. So we're hitting semicolons all day. It was, uh, right. it was crazy making. So anyway, bought this, bought this, bought this new beast. And uh, I, uh, it's, it's uh it's a it, the feeling is not of like efficiency and productivity the feeling is a relief um mm. to have that much like walking around room on your machine um i've you know loaded up all of my data on it instead of having to kind of carefully curate what stays in dropbox and what gets down to the machine um now i've got like 300 gigs free on the hard drive mm. um almost all of my ram is just devoted to caching which is exactly what it should be doing yes. Um, yes, it's just a delight. It's a delight. I'm so happy. Well, I, I love when I like download like a big ISO of like, you know, an operating system and then you do like a SHA one sum to get the checksum and the disk drive light doesn't even light up because yeah. it's all buffered. In. You know, it's <laughs> right. like, yeah, a couple yeah. gigs just still in cash. So that's see, awesome. my, see, my, my version of that was being able to run, uh, sent, uh, I was running CentOS and I was running Fedora and also playing Civilization V all at the same time with no notable mm -hmm. slowdown on any of them, and it was glorious. It's oh, glorious. yeah. Yeah, virtualization is is huge for stuff like that, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love getting, like, a satellite server and pixie booting stuff off of it, and where before, with a smaller laptop, you have to be very, um, you know, bare minimum, you know, just barely, you know, it's like I had, what, like, four gigs of RAM or something to, to run a satellite server, so it was really, you're you're swapping, and... Yeah. 500 meg rel images and or systems and ugh. Yeah. where now it's like oh i, I created a vm this week is eight gigs why not you yeah, know because right. i could and i had eight <laughs> laying around left over to do whatever i want so right yeah. yeah that's been great um how are you doing i understand you had, you had some some physical malady today <laughs> yeah well i had my uh annual eye checkup so it's like i'm sitting there in the the eye doctor's office and then I get this this email um from an account team say oh we got to have this emergency call and everything and it's like okay I'll try to be on it the best I can and everything and then uh it's like I they go and schedule it 
for 10 o'clock and my appointment is at nine o'clock. So I go back and it's like, I hope I get out in time so I can get on this really important call. And, and then, uh, it's like, I go through the the whole exam and then they like dilate your pupils and, and then, um, put you in this dark room. And so I'm sitting there, it's like getting ready for this call while my pupils are dilating for like 10 or 15 minutes. And my, my vision just like, I, I start to just not like my vision gets really blurry and I'm looking at my phone to to read this really long, big honking email. So I'm like prepared on to talk intelligently on the call, and it's like my vision's getting fuzzier and fuzzier and fuzzier. And I'm I'm not <laughs> done with the message yet. And I'm scrolling down. And I'm I'm trying to finish it and everything. And um, and then eventually it's like, all right, I just turned the you know, the phone off. And then um, we get home and it was you know ten o'clock and uh, time for the call. And it's like I could not see the phone. Um, like I, I, I knew that the phone was in my hand, but I, I, but it's like, I could not see the screen at all. It was like, I couldn't distinguish numbers or anything. And I had my wife, it's like, here, dial this number and enter this passcode. And she had dial it for me. And so like, I was definitely, uh, I was dialing blind there. You need a, uh, you need like one of those, uh, one of those companion animals. You need like a, a dialer monkey. Or a guinea pig. Yeah, or a, yeah a dial or guinea pig. Like train a little guinea pig with like a chopstick taped to its head. <laughs> <laughs> Teach it to... Capacitive <laughs> chopstick, yeah. Yeah, or a hot dog. Hot dog, yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> right, it makes perfect sense. I'll get Lauren on that. Um, That's right. Yeah. And, if that, and if that didn't make your week bad enough, um, Dan Reisacker also uh, gave us some guff. Yeah, we got hate mail. Got hate mail from Dan Reisacker. Yeah, of We're all Dan's people. Bi- our biggest fans. Yeah. He he accused me of living in a whale, or, or in the last episode. So um, yeah, and that was one thing. It's like I'd love for if anybody has any feedback on how to fix this. Is it? It's like so right now you and I are in our respective houses in Ohio and in Austin, um, but whenever I'm in an enclave in like a Red Hat office, I don't understand. Maybe it's just because it's too small and echoey, but um, it it just echoes a lot. Um, so. Yeah, sorry about that uh, for the the audio quality. I'm, we're trying to figure out ways to make that better, but I'm I'm stumped as to how to do things differently. Yeah, the the only advice I've heard is just getting closer to the microphone, but that's impossible, especially when you're interviewing someone else. But anyway, we don't. It's awkward. Yeah, yeah, it's just awkward because yeah. you don't want to be you and Rick are friendly, but not that friendly. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing that that Dan uh, of his list of grievances, um, he he uh, he was saying that well, we focus the whole time on storage. So this episode, we're going to have all kinds of stuff. Um, we, we've actually had like a backlog of of things to talk about that you and I don't even remember putting this stuff together. So it's going to be lots of fun. That's right. We just spent we actually just spent the last hour going through the list of being like, what was I talking about? I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, did URL. you do this? Yeah. <laughs> So this should yeah. be a fun. This would be a grab bag. We're we're cleaning out the attic, uh, yes. In this episode, um, and we got uh, and the other thing that he wanted was more updates on Lauren. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give him one. Um, so there's uh, Lauren has a new article out on OpenSource.com. So over the Christmas break, uh, Lauren and I went to uh, a company in Akron called Tiny Circuits. Uh, so they make these little Arduinos about the size of like a quarter or a dime. And we went to uh, interview the CEO uh, for how they're doing open source hardware. Um, and uh, so it was a really nice article that, that she got going. I uh, got it published uh, this week up on opensource.com. And when I was listening to the 
um, interview again, you know, we recorded it and I'm like, wow, this would make a really good podcast um, episode. So we got permission from the CEO to uh, put it, uh, to splice it into our podcast. And uh, so we'll probably get that up there one of these weeks. Um, yeah. So that'll be pretty good. Yeah, we'll be good. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was a, it was a great article. Um, and uh, again, Lauren is just Lawrence, frankly, way more productive than I am at this point, um, which is a little... uh, she's published more than you and I combined, I think, this year. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, so true. Yeah. 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 And then oh. and then what the what is it that EFY Times, um, we'll put a link in the show notes. They totally plagiarized uh, or partially plagiarized her article and gave her no attribution. Yeah. So shame so, on them. Yeah. Yeah. Shame on them. Um if you read read her article and then read the version that they posted, um, it's obviously plagiarized because first of all, there's no attribution. Um, even though they would, they were perfectly capable of copying the text and then because it's CC licensed, so they should yes. be able to like just say, "Hey, I got this from this place," and then that would have been it. Instead, they copied it, and then you were saying they actually like changed words to make it less like uh, Lauren's article. Well, they clipped out. They they did a bunch of excerpts. They added some spelling mistakes, and uh, yeah, so <laughs> like a like a like a freshman in college. That's terrible. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. To do that to a fourteen year old girl, shame on them. Shame, deep shame on them. Yeah. All right. David Gunner Doghouse. Yeah. Uh, Efy Times. Yeah. Um. All right. So what do we got? Uh, what do we got in this episode, Dave? So we're, uh, yes, we're cleaning out the attic, right? Uh, we're going to talk about all kinds of things that we, we may not even know what we're talking about. Um, and so we're going to talk about transparency in companies, uh, the new rev release, and uh, the David Gunner Book Club uh, featuring uh, Packing for Mars by Mary Roach. Yes, excellent. Um, so if folks want to get a link to this plagiarized article by Lauren, um, yeah. or rather the article that was plagiarized from Lauren, um, where should they go? Yeah, so they want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G is in Jonah, show.org. <laughs> nice. Um, and on the cutting room floor, uh, there's actually there's a good-sized cutting room floor this week. Um, there is a hilarious set of uh, kind of public safety posters um, that encourage people not to use uh, <laughs> not to use low-level uh, C library function calls. Um, for security reasons. Um, so like the safest way to use stir copy is to never use it, you know, stuff yes. like that. So kind of sealing from the abstinence posters and just applying it to um, uh, glibc. So that's yeah. hilarious. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then we've got, uh, oh, and the news about <laughs> kind of, this is a, this is the kind of news that take, gives with one hand and takes with the other. Um, so it turns <laughs> out that uh, North Korea, uh, the web servers for, for the North Korean government are actually running RHEL. Yeah. Um, so even uh, hermit autocrats uh, appreciate the value of a Red Hat subscription, um, even though they obviously do not have a subscription because they're uh, embargoed uh, by the yeah. State Department. So <laughs> yeah. So who's 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 our rep for North Korea? <laughs> Someone at the State Department, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we got some uh, we got some follow up here, right? Yeah. So with all the talk about using sound to hack into computers and uh, do secure communications and all that. I found an article on uh, Japanese scientists use, uh, moving objects using acoustic levitation. So I, I, I didn't have a chance to go through this, but how does that work? Like, is it, is it just using sound waves to like push the object? Is that how it works or? Yeah, that's what it looks like. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Yeah. 
is it like a very is it a very like high frequency or a very low frequency that does it um, I don't know I how don't this know. works. I don't know. It's, right. it's been so long since I found this thing. But they have graphs in the article. Oh, okay, good. All right. So along with their graphs, then I'll be all right. Um, that the news reminded me of this video um, of there's this like this guy rigs up like a stream of water, turns on a 24 hertz signal, um, yeah. and it makes the stream of water spiral, yes. uh, which is super cool. Um, so we'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then um, another thing that uh, some follow up is a uh, friend of the show, Dan Walsh. Um, remember the the SE Linux coloring book? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So so now you can use uh, SE Linux to learn Spanish because it's been translated to Spanish. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you got a Spanish coloring book talking about SE Linux. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's great. That's very cool. Um, let's see what else we got here. All right. In the news, Amazon reduced their server costs again. Um, which is, it's a, we've talked about this on the show before, but it's just constantly surprising to me that, um, as Amazon, as Amazon's kind of scale increases, um, mm-hmm. or I guess their efficiency increases, um, rather than holding the prices and turning it into profit, um, uh, they're actually just reducing the prices and increasing market share. Um, which, it's kind of like widely understood in the industry to mean that they are looking to um, expand their customer base. Like they're still seeing a ton of growth in there. Um, yeah. And then presumably they will uh, pull the rug out from underneath everybody once they reach saturation and, uh, and start charging exorbitant rent. Um, I mean, I guess <laughs> yeah. that's what, I mean, that uh, the only thing that makes sense to me. Well, and well, the low prices just raise competitive barriers to, it's like for somebody to wake up and say, Oh, I'm going to start my own cloud and I'm going to, all, all these top shelf hardware vendors and I'm going to do this myself and everything. It's just economically not possible. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, it's the efficiencies that help really lower those costs. You know, it's like once and economies of scale, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Buying power. And, and I think you get to the point where it's really hard to have a new entrant come in and, and challenge that at least to compete on price. And it's especially true because Amazon, it's not like people are taking traditional enterprise workloads and just shoving them into Amazon, right? Like Amazon definitely has its own ecosystem and in order to use it properly really demands its own architectures, right? You know, famously like the, you know, the Netflixes of the world or the, or the Twitters of the world, those are built on and rely on Amazon services and mm-hmm. would just not be practical like in an enterprise context. And because it requires that different kind of architecture, um, they still have a lot of kind of evangelism work to do, right? Because they, yes. need, they need people to choose the Amazon way of living rather than the enterprise way of living. Um, yes. And so, yeah, so lowering the, lowering the cost just gets rid of one more objection to people doing that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they probably also uh, save a lot of, of money on, uh, uh, you know, they, they lower their cost by not uh, giving back open source code. Yeah, I saw, you know, so, I saw, so I saw this article, what was the, and it was labeled as like a register investigation, um, which is, which is wonderful. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah. um, so what was it? So give me, give me some highlights. Yeah. So it's the, the title of the article is Amazon schizophrenic open source selfishness scares off potential talents as insiders. Um, so they're talking about uh, uh, insiders were describing the corporation as a black hole because uh, improvements and fixes for open source hof- uh, software rarely see the light of day. Um, and so, um, and and they say that that secrecy comes from the very top, uh, from like uh, Jeff Bezos on down. And um, where um, 
you know, like they go on to say, like uh, employees from like Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Oracle, IBM, and others regularly speak at conferences. Amazon's employees are instead trained to fade into the background of conferences, revealing little about themselves or their employer. And um, uh, they they even said uh, Amazon behaves a lot like a classified military agency. Explained another ex Amazonian. Um, <laughs> so, it, and and you know maybe it's a culture thing. You know, with with people being really quiet and not not presenting on things, but I wonder, so I know that Amazon uses a lot of open source code, right? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And I, w- I wonder, you know, do you think that holds water as far as like uh, them having hiring problems uh, because, or being able to staff because to get people to like an open source rock star to work for Amazon and then all of a sudden they can't commit back what what mm-hmm. they've written with that yeah cause people to take pause i I mean i suppose so um i frankly i think it's kind of a weak uh a weak argument i can see that in certain cases um especially with like open source rock stars or whatever people who have uh, really made their name and reputation in you know the open source world i can see how they would have trouble fitting into a company like that but there Mm -hmm. has to be other stuff at work not just the secrecy um you look at companies like apple uh who is kind of like the gold standard for a like classified military agency, like secrecy in an organization. Right. Um, and they don't, I, they don't, they don't appear to me to have any kind of retention problem. Uh, people really want to work for them because the Apple culture is yes, secretive and yes, um, kind of cut off from the rest of the world. Uh, but it is also like they, they do like reward their employees and and give them perks and things like that. Um, and people are proud of the work that they do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I can see how, especially with Apple, where you have, where you're like shipping something tangible, um, mm-hmm. I can see how that would be extremely rewarding. Um, you know, everyone loves their iPhone, you know, whatever, like, you know, everybody loves their MacBook. Um, I can see that being a very rewarding job to see that you're contributing to that. Um, whereas with Amazon, maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Like your, your biggest achievement is like commoditizing whole industries and kind of destroying the, <laughs> the small American bookseller. Um, yes. that's, that's, you know, yeah. I mean, and then, you know, by, by contrast, you got companies like Facebook who are like super open. Um, mm-hmm. and it's because, you know, I walked through the, <laughs> I was visiting a friend in the Facebook offices and other people have remarked on this too. You walk through Facebook and it's like, and it's, it's like school just let out. I mean, it's just, just 20 year olds everywhere. Um, mm. and so, you know, and so they're naturally drawn to, you know, more openness, you know, famously they, um, they opened their hardware designs. Mm-hmm. Um, they have their own spin of Hadoop, uh, which they open sourced and, and they've done a bunch of work on PHP and stuff like that. Uh, so like a really open, you know, transparent company. Um, and I don't know if you saw this week, they actually just did the, uh, or I guess it was last week. They did the uh, open compute summit. Yes. Um, so get all the hardware makers and the and folks in a room trading designs, and even Microsoft just unveiled uh, a contribution. So they've got a uh, they have a server design that is now in the Open Compute project, which is mm. pretty cool. It's pretty neat. nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, uh, other sensational headlines uh, is that uh, speaking of Amazon, um, it's also a hornet's nest of malware. So maybe they make a lot of money by hosting malware. Yeah. So the, this article, you sent this over and this just sent me through the roof. This was total gunner bait. Um, yeah. The premise of the article is somebody did a survey of where the malware was coming from and which ISPs they were using. And so Amazon had like a pretty good chunk um, of malware, something like 40% or something like that um, of the malware in the world is being 
kind of hosted or orchestrated by Amazon virtual machines, um, which sounds mm-hmm. horrifying. Uh, but then I realized like, oh, wait, I'm not actually, me- I have nothing to measure this against. Like, I, I actually don't know how big a deal this is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, Amazon is an extremely popular service. So it just kind of stands to reason that it's hosting a bunch of malware, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit like saying, you know, 98% of malware is hosted by x86 Intel servers. It's like, well, yeah, running well, Linux, running yeah. Linux. I was like, well, yeah, of course it is, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I would, it would be more useful if the article had taken the numbers and then plotted them and then put them against, uh, kind of the overall market share, right. And done like yeah. a per capita analysis of, of the malware density, that would actually be a useful number. So, yeah. Or, or per server or yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and it's from the, and it's not like we're talking about the reg or, you know, slash dot or something. This is like Washington post post, post that yeah. article. Like, come yeah. On, guys. Well, it was from their blogs. Yeah. And, well, yeah. Yeah. It was a blog, yeah. right? It wasn't a like formal article. So, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Let's stop picking on Amazon for a little bit. Um, yeah. Sorry let's, guys. <laughs> let's, okay. Let's switch over to Google. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that, that I saw was, uh, that uh, adware vendors, uh, they buy Chrome extensions and send ad and malware filled updates. So um, let's say somebody comes up with a Chrome extension mm-hmm. and that is pretty cool. People will go ahead and install it and they start using it and enjoying it and everything. Um, and then an adware company or whatever could go to that Chrome uh, plugin provider and say, hey, I'll buy this plugin off you. You, you give me the rights to this, transfer it over to me, and uh, I'll give you this suitcase full of money. And uh, people do that, and then all of a sudden, it's like people, all of a sudden, this adware starts showing up on on people's uh, web browsers. So, um, so that, I thought that was, yeah, yeah. So that that was pretty wild. Um, so, I mean, so this like Trojan horse kind of attack reminds me of back in the, back in the early days of my internet experience, like using, using a Windows machine and downloading a piece of shareware and suddenly finding that I have like a bouncing gorilla on my desktop that's oh. monitoring everything that I'm doing. What did that, what was that thing called? It was like a Boingo, something like that. Um, uh, anyway, stuff like that. It's just infuriating. Um, yeah. uh, just that, you know, <laughs> and it's especially bad when it's like they smuggle quote unquote antivirus software onto your machine. Um, yes. Yeah, it's just terrible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, there was an update to that article um, that, that uh, Google got back to. This is Ars Technica. Uh, got back to them and stated that Chrome's extension policies do f- to change in 2014. And uh, the the new policy will require extensions to serve a single purpose. So what struck me about that is it was being fixed in five months, which in Google is like three lifetimes. Right. Or yeah, a third of a Moore's law. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, Iteration. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it that why oh, I I just have no idea. Like why would it take five months to change that yeah. policy? That's yeah. Crazy. Well, and I I know too. Like I've talked to uh, our resident SE Linux uh, uh, David Gunner show expert um, uh, Dan Walsh, and I I said, well, why don't we do um, you know, since Firefox is like the number one vector for attack, mm-hmm. why don't we do an SE Linux policy for Firefox? And and just we could button that down and everything. And uh, 
And he said, well, the real problem with that is that, okay, well, what if you're going to come up with an SE policy, SE Linux policy to confine uh, Firefox, what would you confine? Um, you want Firefox to be able to get to any network location, to get to any port, you know, any network port. You want it to be able to see files in your home directory. Um, so it's, it's really hard uh, to button it up. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's because really now it, it, this wasn't the case ten, fifteen years ago, but especially now, I mean, web browsers with HTML five, like now they can store their own data, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I mean, a web browser is indistinguishable from like a full blown computer. I mean, as far as like setting a policy, right? Um, yeah. Because it really is like a general purpose tool. Um, yeah. It, it's not like it's only connecting to port eighty on so, you know. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And I, I try, at least from whenever I do Firefox extensions, I try to get like the officially signed ones from Firefox as opposed to whoever's running it off their site. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hey, how do you feel about, um, I just noticed this as I was going through um, and do, you know, installing all my, new, all, all my new software on my new machine. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed that, so Apple has this, yes, I'm running OS X, knock it off Linux nerds. Um, you're you're going to get more hate mail. From I'm going to get more hate mail about this, but it's not. Um, <laughs> uh, who is Stephen Fry, the British comedian? He talks about this. He says, you know, yes, I'm running Apple, and yes, I still care about open source software. Um, but I just, you know, I'm passionate about open source software, but I'm not running a madrasa, which I, which I, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I like a lot. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so I'm installing. So OS 10 has this feature where. Um, you can set it so that uh, you can install no software or something like that. And then there's another setting for it. You can install software that has been basically countersigned by Apple, right? So like by an approved Mm -hmm. um, Apple provider, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a a third option, which is you can install whatever you want. And by default, it's Apple signed only, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And if I try to install or run an application or an executable that has not been countersigned, it actually says, nope, sorry, I'm not installing this. It's not signed. If you want to do that, you have to go to this preference pane and hit a special button that says, yes, I really mean to install this potentially hazardous software, mm. um, which was, which at first I kind of bristled at this. I was like, why does Apple have to approve all the software that goes on my machine? But then I thought about it. I was like, well, no, but I can go out of my way very much like SSL, right? I can go out mm. of my way to approve uh, something I know to be insecure and dangerous, yeah. Um, and adding those additional hurdles for me is actually kind of nice. I actually, I'm, I'm coming around on it. I feel like it's, I feel like it's not a bad feature at all. Uh, yeah. presum, presuming you trust Apple's review process, whatever that is. Well, and also if you could do it on a one by one basis, just like you said, like an, uh, SSL certificate exception that mm-hmm. you want to, you want to get by. Um, but it, but it, it sounds like it's, you you have that middle option, whereas like on iOS, it's like third. You know, you can't. You right. can only install stuff that comes from iTunes. Yes. Um, right. Or on Android, you know, by default, you can only install um, things out of their marketplace, and so you can't. Um, you know, so I I don't know if there's a way to be selective about at least on Android uh, to be able to say, oh, I want to install this one third party, and then. You go back and then you got to turn the settings back on, which means that if you want to update that, you need to yeah. relax the security again. Um, yeah, so, that's it. That, yeah, yeah, that's that, in fact that's what I do because um, I will occasionally want to run an APK that I didn't um, that doesn't come from the the marketplace, you know, because it's early software or like beta software yeah. or something like that. And yeah, so you just like relax the permissions, install the thing, and then turn the permissions back on, and it and it, and it works just fine. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. And it's not, I, I wouldn't say too that it's like everything that Apple 
countersigns is 100% perfect or, you know, stuff could still slip through. Oh, no, um, but yeah, but, but you can't fall off the floor, right? I mean, right. something's better than nothing. So. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's like I, I'd rather make that, that conscious decision just like, like mm -hmm. that the web browser analogy you mentioned is, is perfect. I, I really like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Agreed. Uh, Dave, Summit, it's coming yes. up. Yes. It's so yeah. early. I was just on a planning call for it today, and I was like, is it already summit time? And, of course, it is already summit time because we moved it up. We've changed yes. it. It's not in the fall anymore. <laughs> yeah. Mid-April. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So if, if you haven't gotten your summit tickets yet, um, definitely go get them. It's in San Francisco this year. Um, you've got 160 session, sessions and 15 tracks. Um, yes. It's, uh, God, it just gets bigger every year. Um Think think about that. Fifteen parallel tracks. So at any point in time, you have at least fifteen sessions to look at. Yeah, yeah. To me, that's that's like cognitive overload. I, I like, you need to bring like a team of people and divide it up, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and in fact, in fact, one of my favorite things about Summit is the customers who do bring a team of people and often bring the same team every year. Um, yes. And so it's always nice. It's like a it's like a homecoming. Um, yeah, and we've talked yeah. about this, we've talked about this on the show before how Summit is like, uh, it's a homecoming, not just for customers and, uh, but it's also for Red Hat folks. Cause for a lot of Red Hat folks where a lot of us are remote and we don't see each other that often. Um, yes. so it is, there, there, it's probably maybe not a super good thing, but, um, it's certainly fun to have it be like, it almost feels like a internal Red Hat company event sometimes just because there's so many Red Hat people running around, which is great if you're a customer because it means that you've got a whole bunch of Red Hat people to talk to. Um, and, you know, people sharing information. I can't tell you the number of kind of projects that get like kicked off or, you know, somebody, uh, somebody figures out uh, a solution to something, you know, on a napkin in a bar somewhere. Um, that happens all the time at the summit. Um, so it's a really, really wonderful event. Um, and if, yeah. uh, if you can, if there's any chance of you attending, you should definitely should. It's definitely worthwhile. Yeah. And, and the best way to get tickets is through your account team because they have the lowest prices then available. That's right. I, Dave, I was actually going to suggest that you send everyone your registration code so you can get credit for all these people. Yeah, I, I could, but my, I I get nothing for it. Um, I, <laughs> and I'll let it go to the the sales reps. But yes. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing that you mentioned too about people sending like a busload of people, um, it's it's pretty cool to build a rapport with folks in engineering too. And and it's a kind of thing that it's like, uh, oh, you want to meet Dan Walsh? It's like he's over here and and you know introduce him and and all that. And then when they come the next year, it's like I don't need to make that introduction again. And they could be talking to each other and and everything. So it's it's a really good good experience. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Going into what's new. Um, oh, I just uh, just today, as a matter of fact, as we're recording, um, I got I had an article published on a uh, government computer news on uh, the growth of APIs uh, is kind of a prediction piece, like uh, going into 2014, what's going to happen to the market. And uh, so I wrote a piece about um, how APIs are going to become more popular in government uh, for a mm -hmm. bunch of reasons. Um, there's like open data that's going to drive API adoption. Um, mobile is going to drive API adoption. And then I talk about why that is going to in turn drive the adoption of platforms as a service like Red Hat's beloved OpenShift. Nice. Yeah. Um, so anyway, everybody go read that article. 
uh, I need the click-throughs. Um, yes. <laughs> you you got to catch up to Lauren. Yeah. I got to catch seriously. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization 3.3 was released. Mm-hmm. Um, this release, uh, Dave, can I be honest with you about yes. this? I'm going to just, it's just you and me, right? Right, right. Um, Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization was not very exciting to me when it first came out. Really? Yeah, it was, uh, I think we might have kind of oversold it to ourselves internally. I felt mm-hmm. like it maybe it was, uh, anyway, the product was not as strong as I, as I wished it had been. Um, but it has since grown and gotten momentum. And I think a lot of that had to do with it being proprietary. Um, mm-hmm. But now that it's been open sourced, uh, the feature velocity has just gone up like crazy. And to see Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization grow into what it is today is just, it's really rewarding. It's nice to see, you know, little, our kids all grown up. Um, and so with this, uh, with this new release, um, we've, these are, these are like the first steps towards uh, something we talked about actually at the last summit, uh, which was getting Red mm-hmm. Hat Enterprise Virtualization and OpenStack much closer together. Yes. Um, because if you think about it, they have a lot in common, but there is also a lot that makes them different. Uh, but if we can let Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization take care of or rely on OpenStack for some of like the core components, um, that just makes sense, right? Um, yeah. So, and one of the things, and this this is all like an elaborate lead into um, talking about Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization, OpenStack, and the Red Hat Cloud Infrastructure offering, which is you got RHCI, which we jokingly call Ricky. Um, mm. So you got Ricky, which is actually three products. It's Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization, OpenStack, and CloudForms, right? Mm. Um, yep. So Dave, what, tell me about what the what those three products do. Yeah. Pop, pop so, quiz. Yeah. Okay. So Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization is uh, infrastructure. Uh, it's like on-premise uh, if you want to stand up your own virtualized infrastructure. Um, so it's very similar to say like what VMware provides, but it's open source and a fraction of the cost and performs better and is, has, uh, a lot of interesting security features like SVIRT. Um, and, uh, one of the new features is encrypted live migration. So, um, one of the things that before this release is that if I did a live migration of one virtual machine from one hypervisor to another hypervisor, that live migration went across the network unencrypted. So I could actually be sitting on a network and, and uh, you know, you could potentially get a hold of uh, encryption keys and memory and be able to pull that out. And now with Rev 3.3, we have that available. So that's Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization. It's all about virtualized infrastructure. The next one is uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux OpenStack Platform, or RHEL OSP. And, and that is our distribution of OpenStack that lives on top of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So that is more for infrastructure as a service. So that's more for short-lived workloads. And uh, think of your, your more classic, if you were to make analogies, um, Rev is to VMware as AWS, uh, or as a RHEL OSP is to AWS in terms of what the class of workload would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You have both of those things that serve different purposes, but to have both of those uh, in your infrastructure, that it's two different distinct sets of management tools. Um, and w- the third part of, of RHCI that we provide is a thing called CloudForms. And what CloudForms is, is it's an abstraction layer that allows you to manage virtual guests no matter um, 
uh, across a variety of, of cloud and virtualization technologies. So you can have cloud, or I'm sorry, you can have cloud forms lay on top of uh, Rev, VMware, uh, AWS, OpenStack, and, and to be able to, to manage all of those guests um, and group them and, and do um, governance. You could, do, um, you, could, you could see how those systems are behaving or, or um, you could run scans on them. And mm -hmm. if they're, you know, they're missing a certain patch, you can actually um, have CloudForms talk to the management console of, say, like VMware and then quarantine that VM's network interface to a quarantine network. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty slick. Yeah, I mean, a lot of customers are using CloudForms uh, also to keep track of, especially on like OpenStack and AWS, because it's so easy to start a machine and people yes. will frequently forget to turn off machines. Um, yes. And so using CloudForms to keep track of that stuff can actually save people a ton of money, especially when they're paying for VMware licenses. Um, so anyway, so so you got these three products bundled into Red Hat, uh, Red Hat Cloud Infrastructure, um, or the, the, the Ricky tool. So, um, mm. and, the, and so the... All, again, long way around, but um, the reason we got to this was Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization and OpenStack are now sh beginning to share underlying components, right? Because they yes. both need to manage virtual machine images. Um, they both need software-defined networking. Oh, I did it. Software-defined networking. I use that word, software-defined. Um, uh, they both use. Uh, they both need to manage the the networking um, on the on the infrastructures, and so it just makes sense to have them both use exactly the same components. Um, and so the, the way I explain it to customers is Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization is for the servers that are your pets. Um, you name them, and when they get sick, you want them to get better. And OpenStack is for your cattle, uh, where <laughs> when one gets sick, you shoot it in the head and replace it with another one exactly like the last. Um, and that, that analogy does not work in India. It does not play. <laughs> that's right. It does not play. Yeah. Don't use it there. That's right. It is. Uh, culturally specific yeah that's true yeah, yeah. no no offense no offense it's just just word of warning <laughs> um so the uh so like we were saying before how you know amazon is lowering its prices uh to reduce the barrier to entry for folks because to get people onto the amazon platform they have to kind of architect for the amazon world um for folks who are building applications like that these like scale out kind of web oriented applications openstack is perfect um, for folks who have kind of traditional enterprise workloads, uh, like the kind that they're running on VMware today, um, that's what Rev is all about. Nice. Yep. Um, so anyway, Rev 3.3. Uh, my favorite feature on this is the fact that it is now self-hosted. Um, yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, so it means it can pull itself up by its bootstraps. It's like a, it's a Horatio Alger story for virtualization. Um, no, it's a... Uh, so if I want to um, run a virtualized infrastructure, Dave, but I have mm -hmm. only two machines... Um, with previous releases of Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization, I would actually need three machines to run two machines. Um, and that's because... Yeah, two hypervisors. Because yeah. you got two hypervisors, right? Yeah. So you got two hypervisors and one machine that has the management tool on it. Um, mm -hmm. That sounds like a weird corner case, uh, but we actually ran into this ourselves, Dave. Um, customers wanted to use Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization, but they needed to use it in very small spaces, um, yes. like vehicles, right? Yes. So you want two pizza boxes in the back of a Jeep, and you want to be able to uh, run Rev on them because you want to pack a whole bunch of software on it uh, uh, to do the work that you need to do. Um, trouble is, you have only two pizza boxes. Um, if unless Rev is self-hosted, you actually need three pizza boxes in order to make this thing work. Um, mm. So now that it's self-hosted, we can fit on two pizza boxes. Makes perfect yeah. sense. Nice. Yeah. 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 
And you wrote about this, right? Didn't, you had an article about uh, yeah. how for these like tactical virtualization deployments, uh, folks can take advantage of the the effort, the secure virtualization stuff. Yeah, exactly. So the, this was a little while ago, but it was about how um, you know the big problem, like you said, is that without virtualization for every workload, you had to have a separate physical system for it, um, largely because they could be running at different classification levels and all that. Um, and then if you go to do virtualization, that's cool. You can consolidate the workloads down. But the problem you have there is that still, what if those workloads are running at different classification levels? And so um, using things like SVIRT, uh, there's the possibility to be able to do that because you could use multi-category security to keep the virtual machines from seeing each other. And I know the other part, too, is that you, a lot of people would think that, oh, well, that's cool for people with Humvees and whatnot. Um, but there's also a use case for uh, branch offices, like right? Um, like for instance, what about um, say like you have like a remote pharmacy application, or like you, you know like a big box store, and and you want to have these remote things all over at all of your branch locations. Um, so this this makes the self-hosting a lot more cost-effective because you may not need that for. Uh, you know, to have three systems in, in every pharmacy and, and every grocery store that you have, well, maybe having two will, will cut your costs, um, you know, uh, by significantly. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, so that's why it's my favorite feature. That's my favorite feature. Nice. Uh, we also, now there's like a backup and restore API. And so we actually announced we got plugins for HP Insight and the NetApp Virtual Console and Symantec's, uh the Veritas cluster server. So all that stuff can now talk to Rev. Uh, which mm. is which is pretty cool. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, oh yeah, and so under the hood, you've got um, uh, the OpenStack Glance and OpenStack Neutron. Um, mm -hmm. And so being able to manipulate the virtual machine templates and being able to manipulate the networking, um, I just think that's really awesome. I think that's great um, and a testament to the wise decision of the OpenStack folks to make themselves modular. Um, yes. So that Rev can just peel off like the networking part um, or yep. the the client stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, the other the other powerful part about that too is that you could do that. Uh, you know, so uh, all of that effort that the OpenStack people are doing benefits people doing Overt and Rev. Mm -hmm. But any improvements that are done in Overt and Rev can get back into making OpenStack better. Yep. Um, so it's it's you know it's it's basically. Uh, uh, you know, they're scratching each other's backs here. Yeah, yeah, classic open source story. Um, mm -hmm. So, and then, oh, and Red Hat Storage, those guys put out a press release about the uh, um, how Red Hat Storage interacts with OpenStack. Um, and so now the, mm -hmm. the Red Hat Storage, the, which is the, uh, the upstream, is the Gluster project. Um, now mm -hmm. they, uh, you can actually use Red Hat Storage underneath the OpenStack uh, to manage, uh, like, your machine snapshots and your volumes. Um, and it'll actually do like copy on write snapshots um, mm -hmm. and like checkpointing um, and added but, like recovery mechanisms for the for the virtual guests. It's uh, it's really pretty great to see kind of all this stuff and all how it fits together, right? Um, one thing I think is really cool for because you can put Red Hat Storage as the kind of substrate underneath um, OpenStack Glance. Mm -hmm. um, so you take your virtual machine image, you store it on a Red Hat Storage server. Red Hat Storage makes it just like brain dead easy to automatically replicate those volumes to other locations. Mm -hmm. So if you had a DR site, 
um, and you wanted to keep track of all the virtual machines that were um, all the virtual machines that you had you had created um, or all the volumes that you had created. Um, mm -hmm. All you have to do is save them, and Red Hat uh, Red Hat Storage will automatically copy those over to your DR site, um, and you don't even have to think about it or pay EMC a squazillion dollars for SRDF. Um, it's just all done in software, uh, which is really really cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then, Dave, do you want to talk about the uh, our secret, the, the Red Hat government lab and the, the work that we've been doing? Yeah. So, well, actually, one of the things this week, we, we have what are called SME teams on in our solutions architect organization or subject matter experts. And we, we have them for the different products. And we just started a little while ago a security SME team. So it's basically SAs that are self-selecting that want to be um, they want to be experts in security. So we had a get-together in Tyson's Corner uh, this week, and uh, we had a little kickoff for uh, the calendar year. And one of the of the many things, you know, we're just putting our heads together, figuring out what's working, where are the gaps, what do we need to work on this year. Um, one of the things that, uh, uh, that the, the SME team has been working on was um, with RHEL 6.5, one of the big uh, launch uh, things to us that was really important was the ability to do uh, smart card uh, enablement of OpenSSH clients. So I could I could plug in my um, cat card into a USB port and then um, open up a shell on my Linux box and then be able to type in an SSH command and use my uh, public uh, and private key uh, off of the CAC card to be able to talk to a remote SSH server. Um, Super and cool. Yeah, so that was that was cool. And the really slick thing about that is that it's all client side. Um, I don't need to have. I don't need to tell the remote server like it could be like a Solaris box that knows nothing about RHEL and SSH enablement or anything like that. It's just you know any vanilla SSH server can um, can pick this up on the other end, and um, and it was one of the things that I was like, you know, it's like, cool, this is in the release notes, so it must exist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, call me Doubting Thomas, but until I, you know, until I see it and I could touch it and everything, it's like, I, I, it doesn't exist for me. Well, and so, go ahead. Oh, well, and so the, the exciting thing for me was um, that it's SSH, which is in terms of like being a useful utility on the command line. Like once you got SSH... Um, that's the keys to the kingdom because that gives you yeah. access to all kinds of other services. Like uh, the one I'm most excited about is Git, right? Yeah, um, I'm getting her. I'm getting her. Okay, okay, all right, okay. All right. <laughs> You're ruining it. <laughs> so, ignore you heard that. And then, um, so it's like, uh, so the the there was like uh, Jamie Duncan. Uh, you know, it was basically we had this relay race of of some sample CAC cards from our TAM organization that were. Um, that were hand carried from the Raleigh office up to up to DC, and uh, um, you know the TAMs were involved, and and then we got uh, the SAs got a hold of it, uh, Ted Brunel and, and Robin Price, and um, they were they were like, oh well, let's. It's like I want to I want to see this working. So these guys, uh, you know, they got it up and running, and um, actually they found some mistakes in a knowledge base article for this, and they were able to get the the changes turned around pretty quickly and everything, and it it works like a champ. It was beautiful, and uh, you know they got it going, and it was like it, it the the conference room. It looked like you know. Uh, Apollo landed on the moon or something. I mean, these guys are jumping up and down, <laughs> high five and hugging each other and everything. And uh, 
and uh, and I'm like, all right, well, let's go to the bonus round. Um, like just like you said, is it now that we got SSH enabled with CAC, can we do something with uh, you know you could use SSH as a transport? And so what about like Git, where we can push code into something? Um, like using Git um, uh, over SSH over with with uh, with a smart card, and um, what what is your Gunner? What's your favorite place where you, where you like to push code with Git? OpenShift. Yep, yep. So that I threw the gauntlet down and I said I said uh, Ted Robin, um, let's let's you know for the the final Jeopardy, let's let's see if you can get this into um, get this working with. Uh, um, with OpenShift and and like a little while later, it's like again you know you hear all this hoots and hollers and and Robin comes running up to me and say we got it we got it and so they're using a uh, their smart card to um, push code into OpenShift so it's it's pretty miraculous it was it was great that is awesome that's great news that's really cool um, yeah uh, Ted Robin Jamie nice work guys um, that was really excellent and sorry Dan Rysacker because your putty cack is now useless. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not it's no not. it's very useful it's very it's still very useful yeah so what is putty cack so putty cack is uh dan reisacker who uh gives us guff about the quality of our audio um <laughs> he, he uh he uh he, he's a curious breed right um because he he's in the dod cio's office and he's like a policy wonk and did the you know did the dod open source um uh did the dod open source policy um but uh, in his spare time he's writing software um, mm-hmm. And so he wrote uh, this program called PuttyCack, um, which is a, a patch to a Windows utility called Putty, which is like an SSH client, and it adds CAC support to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, which is great, which is really cool, and in widespread use, like people, are, it's open source. People are using it all over the DoD. Um, in fact, Dan still complains that people call him for support on it, uh, and he says, "No, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm not a developer, and I didn't sell it. I've, I just, you know." Um, like you can't call me with support stuff, you know, you can't call me at three in the morning and, and ask me, you know, to fix a bug. I'm, uh, I just did this out of the goodness of my heart. Um, so anyway, so the, the putty cack is an extremely popular windows client, uh, which is still extremely useful. Um, yes, yes, yes. No, I wonder if, if you could use that to push into OpenShift too. I don't know. Oh, interesting. I get, we'll have to, uh, uh, we'll have to improve the, uh, quality of the audio enough to get Dan on the show and talk about that. We can maybe yeah. do a little someday. brainstorming someday. Yeah. So Dave, uh, we have a we have a we have a customer we like, uh, but this week it's we have a we have a guest customer we like. Yes. Yes. Well, well, we have a guest that's going to tell us about a customer that we like, right? That's right. Sean Wells. He's a director of innovation for our business development group. Never been here before. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so Sean, we Sean, you're on because. Um, uh, you kind of arranged for this partnership between Red Hat and Lockheed, right? Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, it's kind of interesting where we're, we're really doing two things uh, of note. And, and the first of which is that we're working with Lockheed, uh, NetApp, and Cisco to create a pre-instantiated version of OpenStack that is hardened to your choice of STIG or FedRAMP requirements. And we're pre-integrating it so that you can just say, I want 50 Nova node, Nova compute nodes. Mm-hmm. I want 30 cinder nodes. And it comes pre-configured and pre-wired and pre-hardened. And we're doing that out of Lockheed's Insight group through the Cyber Alliance. And then the other is we're, again, working with NetApp and Cisco and a company called Enpulse, 
to do real-time network packet and anal network packet capture and analysis. So how do we find things like the malware or the next bad guy in real time while we monitor 10 to 100 gig networks? So all of that's being done out of Lockheed and, and we're very public about it. So you can actually go to the Lockheed Cyber Alliance webpage where you can read briefs about the solutions coming out as well as how to contact us. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, absolutely. So, David, you, you heard of this, um, there's this uh, trait in certain people. Um, I forget what it stands for, but uh, AMSR. Have you heard about this? No. So, Google for it. It's totally fascinating. Um, it's a, uh, uh, for certain kinds of people, if they hear a voice uh, that is whispered, um, mm -hmm. especially when it is recorded, um, and apparently especially when it's on YouTube, um, like they get like a physical reaction to it. Like they get a tingling sensation in the back of their head. Um, and it's just by like the sound of a voice like this, that's all it takes. And suddenly, you know, and so all the hairs on the back of their neck stand up. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and it's not like a, it's not like a weird, like deviant thing. It's just like a trait that people have. And some people who have this trait actually like seek it out. And so there's this whole like YouTube community of people who like, like listening to this whispered voice like this. Um, so, so it freaks them out or it makes them happy? It or... makes them happy. Like it's a, it's a, it's definitely, it's a good thing. Right. Wow. Um, so maybe there's like whole podcasts like that. Oh, I'll bet you there are. I'll bet you there are. Um, and so the, the reason, I, first of all, the reason I mentioned it is because I love, and I love the fact that, the, um, that, that kind of thing exists. Um, mm -hmm. so that's great. Uh, but it, I, but I do not have this trait myself. Uh, but I, I, found a Tumblr, which makes me think that maybe I have a different kind of a trait. Hmm. Um, so the, the title of the Tumblr is things fitting perfectly into other things. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is exactly what it is. It's a, uh, it's a series of photos of something nestled perfectly into another thing. Right. So, uh, I'll give you an example, like a rubber ball that fits perfectly into an ice cream scoop. Um, and I was like, it, I got the link as a joke, you know, somebody's like, oh, look at this crazy Tumblr. So I open it up and uh, scrolling through it and like 400 photos later, like I'm still like, uh, I just find it immensely satisfying <laughs> to, see the, to see these things kind of like perfectly dovetailed into each other. I just, it's so cool. Um, anyway. So, so what, what if it's imperfect? Does it, does it make you like obsessive compulsive that it's like something's wrong and it has to be fixed. Oh, interestingly, no, that's a really good distinction to make. No, this is actually, this only works in the positive direction. So either it's either I have no reaction to it or if it fits perfectly, I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Mm. Like, yeah, interesting. interesting. Um, I don't know. Maybe this, maybe this says things about me that will make me embarrassed that I mentioned this in public. But, um, anyway, if uh, you should visit the Tumblr and find out if you're similarly so, afflicted. So you got, so, so we're working on Helixson's law, but maybe this could be Helixson's syndrome. Mm. Oh, I like this. I'm writing that down. So where, where's Matt? We got to get uh, an article for Alex <laughs> right. syndrome. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's see. What else have we got here? Oh, uh, cow tunnels. Cow tunnels. That's right. And we're going um, to upset the, our Indian listeners again. <laughs> that's right. The cow tunnels was sent to us by, uh, by a friend of the show, Eric Morrissey, um, mm -hmm. who found uh, this description of these tunnels that exist underneath Manhattan um, and were meant to convey cows from 
uh, from boats uh, or trains, I guess, uh, to the slaughterhouses. Um, obviously, you don't want to take the cows and march them down the middle of the street. That's sloppy. Mm -hmm. um, and so they actually cut tunnels underneath the city uh, to move the cows around. Um, mm -hmm. I lived in New York for 10 years. I had never heard of this, uh, but yeah. I, I think that's so cool. I love kind of old, weird corners of history like that. So yeah, we'll link to that in the, in the show notes. Well, I heard about that and I'm, I'm like thinking of ways that I could use like cow tunnel in a meeting and I'm still struggling to. Oh, right, right. Like, a maybe it's like a kind of a rat hole. Yeah, maybe. Or you don't want to be led down a <laughs> cow tunnel. <laughs> you don't want to have a cow tunnel designed specifically for you, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> you may want to design a cow tunnel for somebody or a whole group of people. That would be. Um, let's see what else we got here. Oh, uh, this is this is this has actually been on the list for a long time, and, and we're just now bringing it up. Um, there was an article about how Michael Bay, uh, you know, famous director of like Transformers and stuff. Um, yeah. He was up on stage, I think it was at CES, uh, shilling for the new, a new Samsung television. And he was supposed to get up there and talk about how he made all these movies in, in, you know, HD video or whatever, and how they look so great on this Samsung TV. Fine. Um, I imagine he does, you know, these like eight to 12 times a week. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, he's doing endorsements like this. Unfortunately, on this one, his teleprompter like went on the fritz or he lost his notes or something. And so suddenly found himself in the middle of this press conference um, with no idea of what to say. And mm. uh, it just really drove home. The point for me is that, and Dave, you speak in public as much as I do. There mm -hmm. is literally no such thing as winging it. Um, mm. There is no such thing as just going up cold in front of an audience and thinking that it's just going to turn out okay. Um, yeah. Like, what if you walk on stage and crack your head open? <laughs> like I did a few episodes ago. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and you and I were talking about this too. Is that the the you always need to prepare, um, and mm -hmm. preparation can mean a bunch of things, right? Preparation can mean. Um, obviously being familiar with the material that always helps, um, knowing exactly what it, not exactly what it is you're going to say, but at least knowing like the high points, like what points you want to hit. Um, and, uh, it also means like being familiar with what the environment is going to be like. Um, mm -hmm. we might've talked about this on the show before, like going to the venue before you're supposed to be on stage, just so you know what it looks like and you can kind yes. of visualize it in your mind. And it, it does that doing stuff like that, making me feel, uh, comfortable in a space, uh, meeting some of the people that you're going to be talking to. So you kind of like can get a feel for the room. Um, mm -hmm. that stuff does wonders not only for your nerves, uh, but it's also like an essential part of the preparation process. Um, yeah. and the more prepared you are, the better your talk is going to be. Uh, yeah, that's, it's that's like, cool. I'll, I'll be awake the night before I'm giving a talk or something. I'm thinking about all the things that could possibly go wrong. Um, <laughs> and then, what are the what are the ways that I could overcome them? And and to me that that helps me put my mind at ease. But if it's like I haven't seen the room yet, like you don't know if it's a humongous room or a small room or it's or mm -hmm. what the A V is like or, or anything like that. Um well, and, and it goes to goes to the goes to this larger point of like we we only get afraid or we only have fear and therefore anxiety when we don't know what's going to happen. When yep. when there's something unknown. And the more things that you can turn from unknown into known, uh, the more confident you're going to be, um, and yep. the better you're going to be. And that's, that's what preparation is about. Um, and that could, that scales all the way from physical space to the people, to what you're going to talk about. 
Um, mm-hmm. If you have only a vague sense of what you're going to talk about, you're going to be pretty anxious and it's probably not going to go too well. Um, so the more knowns you can kind of insert into a talking gig, uh, the better it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the books that I really like is uh, Confessions of a Public Speaker by Scott Birkin. I don't know if you ever read that. No, no, I haven't. Oh, you got to get that book. Um, so it's basically, this is not like how to give a presentation or how to make a presentation. This is a guy that is like, does like keynotes all over the place and, you know, big, big, you know, like, like big things like that. Or like, this is what it looks like to be interviewed on television. And, um, you know, and, and just like things that you just wouldn't expect. Like whenever you're like, you see like on the, the news channel, you know, all the talking heads and they're all talking. A lot of times they're just talking right into a TV camera. And sometimes what they'll do is they'll actually put eyeballs on top of the, the camera to give you something to look at. Um, <laughs> right. And so you don't just drift off and start looking at the floor or, or things like that. Um, but, you know, he goes into things like that, like, you know, get to know that AV guy, um, you know, and also how to handle uh, like criticism. Like if somebody starts like you always get that guy or sometimes get that guy or you hope you don't get that guy that just is like always asking like all these off topic questions and, and just mm-hmm. derailing your presentation. Right. And one of the tricks that he does is to get you or get the audience on your side. And so what you'll do is you make the audience a bad guy. And so you get so whenever like that guy is asking like 10 questions in a row and just won't give up, um, you you just stop and you say, well, you know what? This is a really interesting line of questions. Let me ask everybody else in the room. <laughs> I had prepared statements that I wanted to go over and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go over that. But does anybody want instead, does anybody want me to talk about what he's interested in? And. <laughs> nobody's going to raise their hand and, and the, you got to be very careful how you phrase that question. Mm-hmm. You want it because if it's, if, if, um, so you want to phrase it so that the correct answer is for nobody to raise their hand, mm-hmm. right? Because people aren't going to, you know, raise their hand as, Oh, I want to hear this. Um, you know, you don't want to phrase it like who raise your hand if you want me to go on with my prepared statements you run the risk of people not raising their hand. So how you ask, you know, which direction you want to go is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then like once nobody raises their hand, you say that, okay, well, let me get back to this, but I'll tell you what, see me afterwards and I'll, I'll spend an hour with you and we'll talk about your concerns. And mm-hmm. and you totally shut that guy down. Yep. Um, really, really good book. Oh, that's great. Okay. Confessions yeah. of a public speaker. And who's, yeah. who is it by? Scott Birkin. Scott Birkin. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Cool. All right. Great. Oh, speaking of books, we got a book club. Yeah, yeah. So my wife turned me on to this book. Um, it's Packing for Mars uh, by a lady by the name of Mary Roach. And um, it's not something I would want Lauren to read because it's, sometimes it talks a little bit about, you know, it gets a little PG-13 plus And it's <laughs> like, it, I don't want to give her a book like that. Um, but for grownups, I, I think it's okay. Um but it talks a lot about the the space program and um, some of the things like you wouldn't expect, um, like like, um, I, and I, I can't even remember all the all the things that, that they talked about. But um, part of it was like all the different factoids of how she went around and talked to all these NASA people and um, what it would be like to you know what happened when people were getting ready to go to the moon and when they went to the moon and um, you know how um, uh, like this the monkeys that went up in space, how that, that the astronauts were actually really 
mad that that monkeys went up to space because they felt like they were just glorified monkeys as opposed to being like you know superhero celebrities right and right. um yeah so it's uh, the book is really hilarious and the way it was written it was like super deadpan deadpan humor um so it's it's really funny i highly recommend it excellent okay cool packing from Mars by mary roach nice mm -hmm. yeah. um cool oh and then we get these two quickies right so you found this android hack which you were taught you, you were telling me about before the show and mm -hmm. i i'm amazed that i did not know this um yeah. this is incredibly useful and and to me, I'm like, okay, what else don't I know? Um, which, right. you know, it's like, well, okay, what what don't I know? Where's the book for this? Um, but I saw a Lifehacker article that, so if you have an Android phone and, you know, you take your, your index finger and then you swipe from top to bottom, it will bring up um, basically the, the notifications that you have, like you got new uh, a, a tweet or a, a new email or whatever. Um, but for you to get to the Wi-Fi menu, it's like a second step where you got to click the thing in the upper uh, right-hand corner to bring up your Wi-Fi settings and all that stuff. And so in this case, if and that's your quick settings screen. Um, but the way to do it, uh, the fast way to do it, is actually do a two-finger drag. So instead of doing your one index finger, do two fingers, and it'll go right to that uh, that window. Which is awesome because the, that'll give you the buttons for turning on and off the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, going to airplane mode, all that stuff. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, speaking of which, let me throw in this one. You know, have you done a long press on your power button? That forces it off, right? No. If no? you do a long press on the power button, you get a menu. And that menu gives you oh, the option. Oh, oh of, right. Yeah, it gives yeah, you the yeah. option of like rebooting. Um, and vibrate mode. Vibrate mode, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yep. Yeah, but if you hold it in too long, it will force it off. Yes, that's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, wasn't t I didn't know how long you were talking. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, and then uh, I guess the last thing we got is uh, maybe the best release notes ever for a piece of software. Yes. Um, this is better than CAC and SSH, maybe. <laughs> That's right. Um, so this is from uh, The Sims, the game, um, where uh, the, the premise of the game is a little goofy. You have a virtual human that you take care of, and that virtual human meets other virtual humans, and you have relationships, and you get married, and you live, and you die. And uh, so for people who can't stomach you know, life, uh, they can play inside The Sims world. Um, so the release notes for this get really goofy. Um, specific. And specific. So uh, <laughs> I'm just looking over these now. Um, babies will no longer be born to single parents. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Sims no longer have the rare chance of getting permanently stuck while socializing. <laughs> um, uh, Sims may now walk and stand on bridges. Um, it got me thinking, Dave, is a little bit like, don't you wish there was like a change log for our world? Um, yeah. wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, this is obviously a bug. We need to fix this in the next release. And some of them are like pretty outrageous too. Like the uh, pregnant Sims can no longer brawl. <laughs> it's like, how, how do you like, so did somebody file a ticket saying that they wanted that turned off or, or is like a product manager made this decision or, you know, it's like, well, we're going to have it. And it's like, no, let's pull that out. That it didn't work at all. They did some AB testing and it's like, no, you know, but that, so. you just, you just opened this, this, this wide open now. So now it's, uh, 
now I want to be inside the room where uh, they do their morning standups and go over like the list of issues that they need to fix that day. And, yeah. you know, kind of the heated discussions about um, whether aliens abductions can be conducted on houseboats or not. Like that's, that's, that's yeah. great. Or, or how lethal a Murphy bed is. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that's great. Or whether or not mermaid children can take showers. <laughs> Anyway, so everyone should go check out these release notes in the in the show notes. They're hilarious. They're great. Uh, all right, Dave, we drain the queue. Yes, yes, that was uh, it was cleansing. It's yeah. Yes, I feel like a weight has been lifted. Um, it's not quite as good as adding twelve gigabytes to my uh, to my workstation, but it's still pretty good. Yeah, it's still pretty good. Um, well, great. So if folks want to get links to hilarious change logs. Uh, the book by uh, Mary Roach, um, uh, Packing for Mars. Uh, if they want to get links to the Lockheed Martin Cyber Alliance events, uh, mm -hmm. where do they go, Dave? They want to go to dgshow.org. So it's D's and Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. That's right. Um, cool. And I'll uh, see you everyone next week. Yep. Bye, everybody. Thanks. This one's for Dan Rysacker. We're broadcasting from inside an actual whale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we killed one. Um, no. <laughs> A live one. Yeah. yeah, that's right. The guy can ask for his money back. <laughs>